the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. It is. Okay, I will introduce our first guest, Rev. Ezra Weinberg. Yeah. Whether he is working as a shaliach tzibor, a Jewish educator, a song leader, or a Jewish camp professional, Reb Ezra's role in the Jewish community and beyond always comes back to his ability to lift spirits and create community. He is the founder of Revoice, a journey of discovery for Jewish families going through divorce. He also officiates weddings and b'nai mitzvot. He teaches courses on connecting to Jewish prayer, and he helps communities get unstuck around the top of, of Israel. He teaches a course at Far Farley, Fairly, Fairly Dickinson University, alongside a priest and an imam called One God, Three Paths. He is a native Philadelphian and holds an MA in conflict transformation. Really excited to have Reb Ezra here with us today. Wonderful to have you here, Ezra. Thank you. Uh, wonderful. And I will introduce uh, Liron, uh, my wonderful new friend and, and colleague, Liron. Uh, Liron Tal. Liron Tal grew up in the San Fernando Valley to Israeli parents. She comes from an eclectic background working in entertainment, public relations, marketing, special events, and community development. She is most passionate about, or excuse me, she is most passionate and has spent 15 years of experience working in the Jewish community as child development educator, most recently as a preschool director and parenting facilitator. When seeing so many marriages fall apart around her in 2021 during the pandemic, she decided to study and become a certified divorce coach through the International Divorce Coach Center of Excellence. Liron started My Divorce Concierge in August 2022 and is completely fulfilled from her from helping others. She provides a service she wished she had for herself in the beginning stages of, challenge, of her challenging divorce. In addition to coaching, Liron is back working in the Jewish community as the director of events and programming at Adat Ariel in Valley Village. She lives in Burbank, where she is heavily involved in the city of Burbank. She lives with her two young boys, Mich is it Micah or Micha? Micah. Micah and Liam enjoy spending time with their family, salsa dancing, creative writing, and RV camping. Welcome, Liron. Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay, so um, this is a bar mitzvah episode. This is a big episode for us. It is bar a mitzvah name so mitzvah important. episode, Noam. Ah, thank you very much. Yes, b'nai mitzvah. <laughs> And even so, B mitzvah is what B mitzvah is a term that I had only heard recently. The B mitzvahs, right? Yeah, we need to be on point with that. Uh, and Liron just had a uh, bar mitzvah that she celebrated. Uh, and Ezra is the son of divorced parents, right? And went through a bar mitzvah himself in the process of divorce. Yes, uh, I, I had two bar mitzvahs. Um, okay, all right. And now I'm in the midst of planning one for my 12 year old son. Yes, and so am I, and right? You work professionally, like this is Ezra's, right. like Reb Ezra's, right. you know, forte from his own experience, yeah. you can tell us. Right. <laughs> wonderful. So great. This is a wonderful uh, Venn diagram of experiences we're going to have here. So uh, where do we begin? Who wants to... Noam, have you made a B mitzvah yet? <laughs> have we made a B mitzvah. We are working in the process of the B mitzvah. I have the paperwork here. We just had a lovely meeting about the mitzvah projects. And I have all the paperwork from the synagogue telling us about the speech and giving us the parameters and then setting the at least the spiritual tone for the mitzvah projects. 
and the so personal you, you contract. You're, you're working Sorry? on it. It hasn't happened yet. No, we're in the midst of it. You're it's in, in January. Okay. Oh, wow. And you've had a few B-mitzvahs. I've had a bar mitzvah and two bat mitzvahs. So okay. I'm three down. Zero Jeez. more to go. <laughs> so in addition to my son's bar mitzvah we just had, I now work at a temple on everyone else's bar mitzvahs every weekend almost. And so now I've also been having that experience of working. I've had now a few that are divorced. And so kind of seeing all aspects of it has been really interesting. Wonderful. So uh, where do we dive in? I mean, who wants to go first in terms of sharing kind of where they're coming from and what maybe one of the best pieces of wisdom that they have? I can dive in first. It's in terms of like where this urge to do Jewish divorce support comes from. It comes from the world of B'nai Mitzvah. Um, my, I went through a high conflict divorce as a kid. My parents separated when I was two, um, but it was high conflict until my 30s. Um, and it was so high conflict. My mom was a pulpit rabbi and um, she had the home field advantage, you could say. Um, and so she prepared a bar mitzvah for me and my father didn't want to be a part of that. And so he, I found out two weeks before my own bar mitzvah that I was having a second bar mitzvah the week before. Um, and uh, that was very difficult on many levels. Um, I didn't have to, I didn't have to prepare like another Torah portion or anything, but I just had to do the aliyah of the Torah. But it was, um, you know, there was, my family was, was um, divided. Like I had, like, he told his family not to go to the one that they were invited to and it's hard for me to talk about it without like assigning blame, but it was just a very hard, there was no resources. There was no one for them to talk to about how to deal with this. And then, you know, 36 years later, I'm planning a bar mitzvah for my son. And I realized, and it's also, I'm going through a high conflict divorce. And I realized there's nothing's changed. There's no one to talk to about. Like, I, right now we have one bar mitzvah plan, but we're not talking to each other about it. We have a, a, a bad rabbi who is, uh, Kind of helping us work through it but um there's no there's no playbook there's no like uh obvious conversation like we do have around the other life cycle events you know cool. so that's that's what's kind of you know i'm 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 i i'm do i'm i'm interested in this work so that my children and their communities will eventually if they when they go through this will have Oh yeah, you're a divorced family. Oh, you go through this. Because like it's it's crazy. It's it's a um we're we're talking about a fractured family having to come together uh after being apart. They're just not used like, you know, a family has been split apart all of a sudden has for one day has to play like, oh, everything's fine. And we have to make it all about the kid. There's so much going on in this day. Um and as, I think we have the ability to to make this a, a simcha, but we have to, to think about it and, and and parse it out and come up with the right instruments and conversations. And I'm curious, Noam. I mean, like, did your rabbi, whoever whoever you're doing this with, is there? I mean, I know you're the question asker, but I mean, I'm saying about what? Um, like, do they have ways to ask you about the divorce that like bring you into bring the divorce into the conversation? Um, I've brought them into the conversation, right? Um, I, because I wanted to be deliberate about it. Uh, so I can't say, you know, and I think I'm a, an exception to the rule in that way, right? I, 
I have from the perspective of a rabbi, so I'm trying to be proactive about it. Um, and because I don't want it to be awkward, uh, I don't know other people are, are, are that proactive in that way. So to your point, I, I think there should be some, you know, action on the part of the synagogue to reach out in that way and to be compassionate <clears throat> and to have the foresight to say, like, this is going to be a difficult moment. And I remember being in the pulpit and there being a bar mitzvah that was particularly contentious, so much so that there needed to be a plainclothes police officer in the congregation the day of, uh, just because they were afraid of there being something that was really uncomfortable and I would imagine near violent or so to, so much so to the point where you needed an officer there. Um, and that's disappointing. Uh, but nonetheless, you're absolutely right. But I was proactive about it. And so the rabbis know. And so, you know, at least they're aware of that thing, right? Um, in terms of all the other pieces that need to be worked out of how do we divide up the aliyot and how do we make sure that all these other things are taken care of? Part of that is structured into the package, right? So, so like the the stuff I actually just got last Sunday, um, no, last, no, excuse me, Tuesday, um, was the information about the bar mitzvah speech. And it's very clear that the bar mitzvah speech on the day of the bar mitzvah at the service, for example, is five minutes. That's it for both parents. There's no debates about it. You want other people to speak. You want to talk about other things. Save that for the party, right? And that's your own thing where the synagogue really isn't involved in it, right? Even if it's located at the synagogue. So some of that's baked into the structure. I don't know if there's other proactive services that they're going to be presented. I'll put it that way. Hmm. And it's a great synagogue. Love the rabbis. I think they're really well organized. I'm impressed with what I've got, right? I feel held by the process. Um, you, you're right. This part is still a question mark. So, so yeah, I just, yeah, so I think it's really about setting the tone and starting it out the way you want. So um, when we were starting the conversation about the planning the bar mitzvah, uh, we were in a really difficult part place in our divorce. We were not talking to each other much. We didn't like each other much. So it was really, there was a lot of anxiety around it. And my parents even tried to tell my son, hey, we'll pay for everyone to go to Israel. Let's just do that. And I was like, please, let's do that. And my son really honestly said, he used this bar mitzvah to him, he thought in his mind was going to be the thing that brought everyone together. So our two families, we used to do holidays together. We used to all be together. And in this would have been the first time in five years that our two families would come together. And he was really adamant about, I want to stand in up at the BMO with both sides of my family and everyone to come together. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this for him. This is what he wants. And so when we, when we met with the rabbi, you know, I made, we made it really clear that, you know, this is a, we're divorced. We want to make sure we're both involved in everything, but you know, this is he, luckily the rabbi we worked with had been through a divorce himself, and he had a lot of um, understanding about making sure that both of us were always included and in the loop. And when I'm working on the end now as a, on the event coordinator side, that is, I think, the most important thing is that I make sure I am not in the middle. So I email everybody everything. I'm really equal. Sometimes one parent will complain about the other one, you know, and I get a lot of that. So it's interesting now that I'm seeing it from that perspective, because I did. It, it's really hard to not, you know, uh, put the rabbi in the middle. And that's really important. So the rab the our rabbi that we worked with was like, I am not your, like, this is not what I'm doing. I'm going to help Micah. I'm here for him. Um, you guys need to work all that stuff out. So we really set the tone. And then I think for us, it was very much about, I had to kind of say, in a sense, we are 
we have to look at this as a project. We have to look at this as like, it's a project at work. How would you treat your colleague? How would you work together? And let's just delegate in different areas. Um, I had a whole nother, con a whole nother thing thrown into my mix. I found out uh, that my ex was, uh, they were having a baby and we had to change the date because of the due date. And that was so hard because that actually ended up changing the idea of the venue and the outdoor. Everything got changed pretty last minute. And that was really hard. Um, and I had to put aside my feelings of you're putting this before our child. You know, there was a lot of that um, cool. in the mix. So anyways, once we decided on the date, um, that was really the best thing. The best advice I think I could give is that we really, everybody has different parts that are important to them. And if you can figure out, oh, you know, the who we choose for Ali, oh, it's really important to him or what the menu is for the dinner is really important to her and kind of letting each person have ownership of parts of it. I think that really helps instead of trying to do everything together. <laughs> I um, think, Liron, you also brought up a really good point that um, about extended family, that in throughout the divorce, even if it's high conflict, there's still usually some element of interaction, even if it's through an intermediary, it's we are now learning how to communicate. We still need to be in each other's lives, but the family doesn't interact anymore. And the other person becomes the enemy and the other side, and they're just, they're out of the picture and there's no interaction until there's an event like this. And really I was thinking like, what are the events? Like it's a bi mitzvah or maybe even a wedding, depending on either it's later down the line or you got divorced later on. Um, for the most part, I don't think a bris <laughs> Is going to be happening post-divorce that would probably be a really unique situation so you have these events where everyone is supposed to come together like you said uh for the sake of the children and yet to me like when i made my son's bar mitzvah i was adamant one event like it's not even a question and my biggest struggle was my, was was the fat my parents my family of like how are we going to do this how are we going to be in the same room like we're so angry we're, we still are holding on to these things that i'm like let it go i've moved past it and they had it you know like they didn't have the processes that i had and that was my bigger struggle for me of of how to help my family through that experience and so that's an interesting thing to think of because i didn't really think of it right now till you were talking of like they should be included in the conversation and and rabbis should bring in in a divorce situation bring in the extended family of let's sit down and, and talk about what's needed what's uncomfortable what do you need you know to make this for the bar or bat mitzvah boy the day that it is supposed to everybody put your shit aside yeah. <laughs> show up like one day that's what I would tell my parents I'm like it's it's a, it's one meal it's friday night it's like it's you know it's it's a weekend actually i'm like you it's like put on your big boy pants for one weekend you can do this um but i think that's an important piece yeah it also makes you think about the present moment in the, in terms of you know like you, if you're working up to a bar mitzvah let's say it's happening in five years right you, you want to start working on that relationship with your ex now so that when you come to that moment right potentially it's not so awkward or negotiating all these things aren't so difficult Right, rather than just kind of arriving there, and it's it, it sometimes it's impossible to have that type of long term view. Well, you also don't know, you know, the the relationship. You never know where it's going to be in five years. That's a long 
a lot can happen, right? <laughs> I mean, we had this baby in the mix that totally just changed a lot of things and emotions for everyone. Um, you know, I had even my friends who were kind of like, oh gosh, what's this going to be like seeing them together up there? And it was more of the anticipation and anxiety of what it might feel like. Um, but I do have to say for me, I found there was something that really actually made me heal in a sense before the bar mitzvah actually happened. Um, I wasn't going to do a video montage because I just was doing everything and it was too much. And I was just going to throw some pictures up on a slideshow. And then my son got really like, what? No montage. I've been waiting for that. So I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And sitting there looking through pictures that I have really avoided looking at in five years of us, I kind of um, was really hard and emotionally draining, but also therapeutic in that I looked at pictures of us together when my son was born and it, I had to, there were some that I looked at and I felt like, oh, that's like Instagram happy. Like we oh. look happy, but I know what really happened after that picture. <laughs> but then there were many pictures that I had to like admit that we were happy and oh. let myself be okay. And going through those moments and actually for the first time, remembering all of the good times really helped me go into the bar mitzvah with a much just an open heart and more loving and just remind reminding me it was about Micah. So that was actually something I was really dreading that ended up being really helpful. So I have a question about that because I think that's really interesting. And some people might get more resentful. I don't know the circumstances of your divorce and kind of who wanted out and who didn't, but I could see the opposite happening of seeing these pictures, these happy memories, and then getting angry and resentful. So what is something that helped you not go down that path and go more towards the happy gratitude. Path. You know, it was every day, honestly, it was really an emotional couple of weeks of doing this. There were days that I looked at, like, I'd see one picture that would trigger me, like from that camping trip. And I was like, oh, he forgot the bikes on that trip. And I was so mad at him. I shut off my laptop and be done for that day, you know, <laughs> the next day. So really the pictures kind of triggered different emotions. And I actually was really cautious about how many pictures I put of us together. I did a, I did it where it was like a section of Abba and I did pictures of him and, and, and Micah. And then I did some pictures of me and him and I did a couple of the four of us, but I also didn't do too many. Cause I felt like that also might make the kids a little sad. Cool. Be like, Oh, remember when we were all together. So um, I was really kind of mindful and I had to make sure I was equal with pictures on both sides of the family. If I'm going to do one, not the other, you know, um, so it was, I had, it was a lot of work, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I felt like it was kind of a, it, it was like a grand finale of the last five years, almost of like, uh, we made it here we are. <laughs> and did you take pictures together at the event? Uh, we did pictures. Um, yes. Before the service, we did the four of us. He left the fiance at home and did it just us, which was, you know. Nice for Mike, I think. And yeah, we did a, we did pictures together and you know what that day was ended up being exactly what I'd hoped it would be. We were happy. We were able to stand there and look at each other and have nachas together. And, uh, it, it, it was a rough couple of months leading up, but that last month it was like, we're done. And anything from here on out needs to be kind, respectful. We have to do everything we can. We honestly, like, up until a month before the bar mitzvah, we're not in a good place. And then it was that last month. I was like, let's just do what we can so that we 
can stand next to each so other. I have another question because you and I are the two here that have made one already. And it's so it's all great, not just with bar or bat mitzvahs, but in divorce in general, when one person has an idea of how it should be, but you know, it's a two-person game. So did you have any conversations with your ex about how you wanted it to look like? Like, did you have to give up certain things to get to that goal and objective? And how did you get him? He's like, it was really difficult up to a month. And so how did you get him on board to be your best selves? I literally said, if you want us to stay on the Bima and not want to punch each other in the face, let's be nice. <laughs> it was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't know what else to say. Um, no, it just became a matter of delegating of like, okay, from it, it, honestly, I became like a project manager and was just like, can you just like, this is what you're going to handle. D d d pay this deposit, do that. You know, we just kind of, it was like. But did you have a conversation at any point of we, this is the goal. The goal is for both of us to show up together, be in the same room, smile. And this is what we have to do. Or did you kind of, was it like step-by-step step of like, it was kind of unsaid and unstated, but there. In my situation specifically, I had to just really lay it out uh, and just kind of give him pieces that he could own. And I think that really helped because I'm a party planner. So, <laughs> and a lot of it. <laughs> And I was like, what parts can I let go of that I don't feel, you know, it was like, you pick out the Talit, take my gun by the Talit. And he was really happy to do that. And you, you know, like, so it was like, I made sure that he had things that he felt that he really owned from start to finish. And that really, you know, that worked for us. It sounds like boundaries are a real important part of this. I, I, I'm going to get to Ezra, I hear you. Um, it sounds like boundaries are a real part of this in terms of like, the rabbi having boundaries of what they won't do and won't get involved in, right? In terms of what you want to see on the bima, right? The boundaries of how we're going to behave, and also the boundaries of responsibility and making all this really important, right? And and that perhaps might be some part of the necessary structure that makes these things doable. Yeah, yeah. The boundaries are super important. The um just the communication, which is obviously hard because in many situations, communication is what probably is one of the things that was not good in your marriage. And then of course, as we know, you're forced to communicate even more when you're divorced. So, right. I mean, there were definitely times that I, we, we, when we couldn't agree on something, like just even like trying to agree on the new date was really hard. And I really struggled there of like, I shouldn't have to, Micah shouldn't have to suffer because of this. And that's where the rabbi did step in and really helped us try to like find this happy medium um and kind of helped talk us through that piece uh so when there were really real conflicts that we just could not agree on he did help us he helped us in that in those times Ezra I really appreciate your point about how it's not just about like yeah this has to be a good moment for the kid it's also that like there are all these other complex ripple effects of it that affect other people that are in interconnected in the whole experience uh, and like, that's a very kind of complicated thing to navigate. Um, what are some of the kind of things that you can, I, I don't even know necessarily what to ask. You have experience in this. Um, and I wonder if you could just speak to that. Um, first, I just want to say, Liron, it's amazing to hear you, um, uh, to see, to see like transformation that happened. Um, and, uh, uh you know, I'm, I'm hoping for that, but I, I can't guarantee it. Um, and just 
you know, um, I, I, yeah, I was surprised by it. <laughs> the fact that you weren't talking, you were barely talking in the beginning of this process, that's where I am now. Um, and so it's, 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 you know, my parents only started really talking to each other after my son was born. Um, uh, and so I'm hoping, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how much in some ways spiritually we put on, on, our, on our own children to help us make peace. Um, but I feel like, uh, uh, that, you know, that, 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 that in some ways that's what happened. I, I got a master's in conflict transformation because I wanted to make peace between my parents, I think deeply down. I think that was, that was the academic <laughs> pursuit that interested me. Um, okay. Just to answer your question. That's a good one. No, um, like I, my ex has, has family that I, that I, that I loved mm. miss. Like that was, I felt really connected. They confided in me and then no, nothing. I was not a part of their lives at all yeah. at her request. So yeah. all of a sudden we're going to be back together in a room. It's going to be intense. Like they're, they're, they're in France. One of, I, I just found out my ex didn't tell me. I found out from my own child that my ex stepmother-in-law my ex's stepmom's mother just passed away and like like what what am i allowed to do for condolences you know right um and so that's going to be in the room uh all the life that has passed us in the last four years since our separation um you know i i i i feel connected to these people we shared a huge it was i was married for 12 years we were together for 14 years like i know about them and they know about me and we care about each other but because of the riff we can't connect like with the blessing of my ex seemingly mm -hmm. like it's we can communicate better maybe there'd be some wiggle room there but we can't at the moment right. um so that's one dynamic is just like you know the continuation of a relationship that was abruptly halted of all the multiple relationships um yeah and that's and that's not even talking about the but yeah okay the, here's another another dynamic that i want to bring up we always talk about how the b'nai mitzvah be mitzvah it's always about the child right i actually don't know if i believe that hmm. i think it's it's just as much a celebration of the parents accomplishment of raising a child to that age we love to like put it all on the child because they are the ones that have the kind of the learning responsibility and the performing responsibility. Um, and it's a bigger deal in their life. Um, but especially for first time B'nai Mitzvah parents, I, I don't know if it's less of a big deal. And, and, it's, and it's a life cycle event just as much for us. And I, I, I'd like to see, I don't know, I'd like to see us give a little more kavod to the parents, mo you know, to the parents in that moment, even if we can't fully celebrated at the bar mitzvah itself and so where that fits in divorce I and mean, that makes it even more complicated it yeah, does think, oh sorry because i think there's an acknowledgement of it being like a family celebration you know it's it's this dual it's the celebration an accomplishment for the parents and then it's this coming of age moment for the child in the context of this family unit and then again, the, the divorce is like, ah, how does this fit in? Like, how do we acknowledge this family unit that isn't a yeah. family unit? Um, and I think it's just so challenging. Yeah. In my situation, everybody's divorced. My parents are divorced. My ex's parents are divorced. Like, we're all divorced. Like, 
we should be able to talk about it with some lightness. Yeah. You know? In our family, we were we're the only ones. It's it's foreign, it's new. And so I'll tell you something we did that was actually I really loved. Um we so when everybody showed up, we we did um I did like a little cocktail thing before the service. We did a mincha service. So we did little cocktails and that was it kind of broke the ice because we had people, even friends of ours, who haven't seen each other since our wedding <laughs> or since like I would say my oldest. My youngest's first birthday, maybe, right? Like the last time we really did parties together and stuff. So we knew everyone needed a minute to like talk and re, you know, reintroduce themselves and the cousins saw each other. And that was kind of nice, you know, to break the ice a little bit. But then it was like the service, it was very much like his family here, my family there was very, you know, separated. But when we did, so when we, we wanted to, I really love the part and Micah does too, when you pass the Torah, the Lador Vador from generation to generation. And when we were originally talking about it, it was like um, my so my grandparents, Micah's grand, great grandparents are still alive. So it was like the great grandparents. And then it was like his mom and then my mom. And I said, I don't think they're going to like that mix of like my grandma giving it to his mom, then to my mom. And so we were like, how do we figure this out? So what we did, it was like Micah was in the middle. I was on one side of him with my family he was on the other side of him with his family, but it was done in a really nice way. He went from like one side to the middle and then from the other side to the middle. And it just felt okay, you know, and it was. But which side did he start with? I, um, we started, we started with my side because they're the oldest. I have the great grandparents. We decided by age, right? So we went from my side okay. down and then from his <laughs> side and, you know, um, it was a little awkward in the service, but then when everybody got into the party, had a couple of the drinks, it got a little bit, you know, we all did. Oh, okay. We can wrap up the, the, the podcast and say, just serve a lot of alcohol. Right. Make it a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, that's the solution. See what actually was the funniest, best part. My little, my younger son, my eight-year-old Liam, all of a sudden just started the conga line and started grabbing. And next thing you know, you're looking at the conga line and you're seeing like my ex-mother-in-law with my my sister-in-law with her arms on her hips it was just this like what is going on so the conga line brought everyone together at that point that was really a funny moment there you go yeah, there's I a had... wonderful example of it being about the family right there <laughs> the we, conga line my horse doesn't seem as contentious as maybe some others on this call but there was this moment like my my youngest was bat mitzvah in november and so and in that time, my brother has gotten married and had a baby since, you know, my ex has never met this, my sister-in-law or the baby, but he was holding the baby, my niece, the entire bar mitzvah. It was so funny to me. And so no. it was like, whoa, it was like kind of just like, whoa, what's going on here? But he just like was holding the baby. And it was actually very beautiful um, of these worlds that technically wouldn't ever align and might never come together again, um, I guess at the wedding. Um, but um right. Yeah, kind of, it's it's a little bit off-putting in a way, but sweet. sweet. And there was actually some weird moments. I mean, my my ex's sister had a baby shortly after, and I was her dada, I was her aunt, and she barely knows me now. And you know, I was watching her, this little six-year-old dancing around, so cute, and I don't, I don't know her. And like, those moments were strange, definitely. Even though like I hear about from the kids and all of that, just being in that interaction in that family environment and not really feeling that she actually knows me was strange. There were definitely moments like you were saying, Ezra, about like the cousins that used to be together don't know each other anymore now. And they're all coming back as teenagers, some of them. And there was definitely this awkwardness, but there was also this 
it was just so joyful. There was a really joyful moment and you could just feel, there were moments I think when Micah and everybody commented on when he was standing at the Bima at one point and he was between his mom and his dad, he was beaming. He was oh. really happy. He put his oh. arms around the two of us, you know, and that was, I think, what set the tone for everybody to realize it is what Micah wants and we are ultimately here for him. And it just, that kind of positive energy just spread through the rest of the night. So he was really happy to have the two of us there. Um, you know, I think going into it, he was nervous. Like, what's it going to be like? Is everyone going to get along? But we were, and having the rehearsal before was really like helped having us there doing a rehearsal, doing yeah. pictures before. That was a nice moment to kind of be like, okay, we can do this. Can we talk about pictures for a second? Either way. <laughs> Pictures, you know I, pictures? Well, well, we, you talked about pictures, but I, I just want to clarify. Those were the pictures that you were taking or the pictures for the slideshow? No, oh. we did. So we did like the, we, we usually do, we do this at my synagogue too. So they'll do like on a Tuesday before a rehearsal with the clergy right. photos. Right. Or just because you can't take pictures on Shabbat in right. the, yeah. So that day, really, uh, okay. like, it was like a dress rehearsal and it calmed us all down uh, a little bit okay. to see that we can do this. You know, okay. And Thanks. I would say that's a nice thing to do, not to bring the whole mishpucha. We did it just the three of us. I didn't even have his brother there for that moment. I mean, everyone could do what they'd like, but for me, it was really nice that Mike. It was just, it was just the three of us, and it was really kind of a good, intimate moment for us to, you know, see what it was like to be to, yeah. to do this together. Right before it gets to be with everyone there. Before it gets real, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And you brought up another point, Lira, like I talked about family coming together, but there's significant others <laughs> that are probably more triggering than family. And um, that's really so hard. You know, it's again, another moment where you wouldn't, you, you don't necessarily have to interact with this other person. And yet now you do. And what's their role? Mm. How present are they in this experience? Are they in the pictures? Are they in the processions? Are they in yeah. this process? Um, that's really complicated. I, I did not have that. Thank God. <laughs> Neither of us were dating anybody at the time, um, at the times, any of them, but right. it seems like you all have some degree of that. Yeah. And what are the expectations as well? Right. My ex is now married. Leron's right. Ex is now oh, a child. He, so she's, she was very pregnant and yeah. they're engaged now. She's not Jewish. So, you know, that was actually really, when we were deciding on the um, Aliyah, we really wanted to honor our family. We wanted to honor the grandparents and we kind of kept it to immediate family on both sides. Um, but then when we did um, the day of the rehearsal, he pulled me aside while Micah was practicing his speech and he just threw it on me and was like, I think, you know, I would really love if we could find a way to honor her. And I was like, nope. Like I was like, that's where I'm drawing the line. There's no reason for her to be part of the of the ceremony. She's in, the, I put a picture of her in the montage. She's going to come up for a candle. We did the candle lighting, which actually I know it's kind of old school and everybody was like, well, you brought back the candle lighting, but it was a great way to honor some other people. Yeah. Um, and so they came up together for a candle lighting. And I was just like, no, I'm sorry. This, the, this is Micah's bar mitzvah. And this is about our family before your new family. Like the bar mitzvah to me was really about us and Micah and our, this 
this family. And he just accepted what you said. Cool. And at first he was, he said yes to me. And then he went in and brought it up again to the rabbi. And the rabbi was kind of like, ah, and then he, you know, he did, he ended up accepting it. But I said to him, this is my son's, this is my son's bar mitzvah. And I don't want anything to make me, I don't think it's fair for anything to make me feel uncomfortable on this day. Yeah, that's fair. And he agreed to that, you know, because it was like, this is, this is kind of, you know, and who knows when my younger son in four years has his bar mitzvah, like we'll see where we're at at that point. But right now it just didn't feel right. And it didn't feel good to me. And I don't think there should be anything about this day that should not feel good to me as his mother. That was my, maybe I was wrong, but that was where I put my foot down. Some, some, put some thoughts. Down How that. long after your divorce was the bar mitzvah? Five years. Five years. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, any thoughts from Reb Ezra and Noam about the significant others because, and how to incorporate them? You know, I, I defer to you, Ezra, please. You're our guest. Um, I think about, I have an older sister and my father was married to one woman at her bat mitzvah. And there was actually one bat mitzvah for my sister and my father's uh, wife at the time was there and then he got divorced. Couple of years later, and his next wife was at my <laughs> first bar mitzvah. <laughs> um, and uh, so they always were included. Um, in fact, yeah, my, I was actually at the home of my stepmother, my my second bar mitzvah or my first bar mitzvah. It's so confusing. Um, I mean, I at the moment, like, I suspect that my ex has a ex has a boyfriend. But she hasn't told me. Mm-hmm. I know about it from my children. Um, and so, uh, you know, I assume we can, we will have, there's a lot of assumptions that we make. This is the thing. I don't want to have to assume everything um, about what's, okay, what's not okay. Right. And I think that the, this is where I get back to the original um, uh, thing I brought up. One of the original things I brought up is I want some, in basic instruments or some surveys that rabbis or people can send to us that can gauge things like how high is the conflict? How high conflict is the conflict? Are you willing to talk to each other? Are you on what are you willing to talk to each other about? Are you willing to talk to each other about money? And if you aren't willing to talk to each other, how will you have a third party talk to you? Like, like basic questions that can help navigate this is like very because right now money is such a contentious topic. That's true. Um, Finances. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've never had to. Yeah. So I, I, I just you know, what can you you know how how can you agree to a, a, a number? Because at this moment, I think we're having one service and two separate gatherings mm. for the party. Right. I think. <laughs> I'll tell you as a coordinator, when I'm working with couples that are divorced, the the hardest part about everything is money, right? Because they have a different idea of what money should be spent on. That's honestly the biggest challenge I see. Like the the wife might call me and say, he doesn't understand why we need rent linens. And he'll call me and say, she's spending too much money on da da da, you know, (laughs) whatever, you know, it's always like the little things. Gotta have the linens. You know, and uh And so I try to kind of, sometimes it's almost easier to say, I can help them see that like, 
okay, the kiddish lunch is going to cost as much as this, this, this in the party. So how about he takes care of paying for the kiddish lunch and you take care of paying that. And that means he gets to pick the color of the linens that he wants for the, you know what I mean? Like I try to help them not you, have to you, you are offering a very valuable service that not everybody either knows about or uses. Like that's kind of, I think what you're saying is like yeah. that we need an intermediary to bridge these conversations, but it isn't always available or used. Because right. yeah. they're never going to happen. I think it's also Ezra's point is that things are just kind of going in this cloudy formation and you're making assumptions about things, which isn't right to begin with. Like you can't move forward with such a significant thing based on assumptions. You have to know about what you're going yeah. into because, yeah, money's tight and who's going to spend what and how do you divide that up? These are all crucial questions and you need something to be in there and do it for you if you're not capable of doing it yourself. Yeah. And people are often immature that way too. If there's right? poor communication, like yeah. when you get divorced, usually there's there's an agreement, an outline where as many things, situations are thinking of and laid out so that you don't have to go through it. But they're not, I've never seen an agreement, a divorce agreement that details what decorations are going to be used for the bar mitzvah. And so there's so many things that have to be figured out. And yet if you're not in communication, how do you do that? Including what you were referring to, Miron, um, the, the temperament of the child um, has to be really considered. Like my son, uh, up until a couple of months ago, like refused to let us be in the same room together. Like I would, I would drop him off. He'd make me like stand a block away and he would walk to the to her, to her home. And I think that is changing slowly. Um, That's but, a good point. Uh, you know, my daughter's not like that, but she's six. That's a good point. What if a kid doesn't want their parents in the same room? Yeah. Well, and, I, and I gave him that. We gave Micah that option of like, do you want to do something in this? He he wanted, he personally wanted us together. And he wanted this to be the reason that we had to get along. <laughs> but you know what? At the oh, end of the trap the moment, right at the end of the day, it, it did. It, there were days that I was like, why are we doing this to ourselves? But it ended up actually, Ezra, if I'm giving you any hope, it, I think it actually helped in a way. It helped our relationship in a way. The one thing, though, is I didn't get the big thank you I'd hoped at the end. I, th I realized <laughs> I, I wanted that when I didn't get it. I was like, he didn't even thank me for everything I did. I didn't know that I, I wasn't doing it for that, but it would have been nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's that's who we are. I mean, that's who he is. That's who I am. Like, why would I expect people to necessarily change out of this, but it did give us this feeling of like, man, if we could plan a bar mitzvah together, we can do this. Like it was a really big accomplishment that now just made us feel like, okay, we can, we can do hard things. We just did it together. You know? Yeah. Another thing I'm thinking, go ahead. No, no, please, please, please. Another thing I'm thinking about is um, is where the child sits during the you know if if it's an egalitarian uh, be mitzvah then then like you know they sit between there's lots of I'm personally at the moment we're 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 working with a chabad rabbi I'm a reconstructionist rabbi I'm very egalitarian most of the time but uh, uh, I'm probably going to have a chabad bar mitzvah so it'll be that'll that'll take care of itself. But I feel okay. like in egalitarian settings, where you know, where is the kid? The kids sit between the parents. Like that's. So we actually had we set up, and it was um, my younger son sat with us. So it was he sat between 
my ex and I, and then my son sat um, in a seat that was where the rabbi sat next to him. And I mean, rabbi didn't sit most of the time, but he sat in like the, uh, his own area, whatever. And then um, that was how we did it. So we, we had our little one between us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mine was more for the party for the party. It was very much like my table, his table, kids table, you know, every family kind of had their own table. I mean, I just had a, I just worked actually this past week and I had a, um, a bat mitzvah for a family that's in a divorce. And she came up to me, she didn't do assigned seating, which as much as I like the casual flowness, I think in a divorce family, you do need to do assigned seating because the last thing you want is for like everybody from one family to sit together. And then one person ends up at the wrong table, you know what I mean? With nowhere to sit. And so I did end up doing assigned seating and it was definitely helpful. But so this woman that was doing uh, this mother this past weekend, she didn't want to do assigned seating. But then at the last minute, she was like, I want this. I want everyone to sit on my side here and on his side there. So we did last minute, like a couple of name, like, you know, reserve tables here and there. But um, she got I could tell it was literally right before the party started and she was anxious of like, who's going to sit where? <laughs> so as much as it's more work, I do think assigned seating is helpful for, um, or at least letting people know like your family should sit on this side for the service, you know, giving people some information ahead of time. So they're not uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, you know, as I, as I think about the conversation we're having, I think this is a great cross section of not only perspectives, right. In terms of child and also parent going through divorce, uh, and experiencing the mitzvah, uh, or B'nai mitzvah. Um, and then also the type of experience that you can have, right? Uh, Ezra, it sounds like, you know, for all, all your parents' best efforts, they couldn't, you know, come together. And so they had to do two separate ones. And that was confusing for you in some way. Um, and how it shouldn't be confusing for a child. It should be very easy to see kind of like how this whole process goes. And that Liron was also pleasantly surprised in how hers turned out, given all the complexities and the you know, the conflict that was leading up to it and part of her divorce atmosphere, I suppose. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, in the process of thinking about, you know, our bar mitzvah that's coming up, um, uh, you know, and Sheva, you've been through this several times, you know, I, I wonder, like, if at what point did you pause to think, like, what's the best thing that I can expect from this, Right. I mean, it's nice to be affirmed to say, to say that like things could go wrong and got really confusing and you should be aware of that if you don't want that to be, right? But also that it can be really possible that it can be almost miraculously beautiful, right? But at one point, are you in the middle and thinking like, what's the most realistically pleasant thing I can expect? I know exactly what that was. I was, I'm not good at hiding my emotions on my face. And my whole thing was, oh my gosh, I bet I... I hope I can like listen to his speech and be up here with him and not roll my eyes. <laughs> like, honestly, and I got to that moment where I was like, wow, I'm actually, I'm doing it. You know, like I was able, I wasn't fake. It was true. But that, that was my biggest thing going into it. I was like, best case scenario is that I could be up there and I could be genuinely smiling and happy and people won't be looking at my face going, oh no, she's having a hard time. She really doesn't like him or, you know, so that to me was my kind of best case moment. It's a really good question. Um, I really appreciate it. It like kind of forced me to 
kind of do a little cheshbon nefesh, just like really envision what that's going to feel like. And I often, I'm like, I've been trying to think about it and I'll sort of settle into my body around it. Um, and I, I, I actually like felt some fear as you asked that question. Um, I felt fear that I was going to like go back to that place in my divorce, yeah. that place of like feeling under attack. Um, that you know it wasn't going to be like that but there'd be like moments where you know um you know I'll, i still get a lot of i still get a lot of things are not amicable right now um so there's a lot of there's still a lot of hostility that's 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 shooting back and forth uh, mostly in texts um and emails um so i i i, I fear that that could manifest itself um, and just kind of, I, I don't want to be bracing myself, uh, the I like waiting for that to happen. I want to, I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel focused on the child. Um, <laughs> and it's all but, you can do is just yeah, focus yeah. on the child, honestly. Yeah, I think I will probably, knowing myself and just my own orientation, I will probably do my own ritual beforehand, some sort of spiritual preparation with good a couple of good friends um maybe something with my son just to kind of like help us get in the space for that um so i don't so i can kind of open myself to whatever is and not kind of hold on to what should be i feel like divorce is such a it's like the best teacher for how to let go of what should be sure. what should have been and so hopefully in some ways uh the 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 bar mitzvah it's not going to be like a it might be highest moments of simcha but i think i'm hoping like i describe the difference between sukkot and shavuot i think sukkot is like more of a has more of like a high energy and shavuot is more of like is more of a deep energy so i feel like the bar mitzvah i'm going to try to look at both um trying to access the the depth of it and not just go for like the you know hopefully that my son will you know will be able to dance and you know get to that place and and parts of me with him too but i'm not gonna not expecting that i want to add a point that i don't think is often brought up and i think when we talk about like dealing with it or best case scenario or how to get through it's usually in the context of the emotion of anger of like how can i be in the same room as my ex i'm so angry or well this um contention and i think there's also a lot of sadness that might come up of i know for me for my son's bar mitzvah i don't know we were probably like also like four years post-divorce and but i was fine like happy very happy with where i was in my life and then there was actually a like <laughs> The caterer, we had, it was an Orthodox bar mitzvah, so it was a, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And like the caterer did not deliver even 50% of the food. Like we was weekend guests, we had tons of guests, there was no food. And it was a disaster. We were literally scrounging with, from neighbors to get food. And it was a disaster. And it could have gone either way. And so like we could have blamed each other. It happens to be, we work together. Both of us were kind of easygoing in that way. It's like, ha, 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 won't we laugh about this? later on, which incidentally, I accidentally called the same caterer for my daughter's bat mitzvah. And that was a very funny moment. He's like, Do you remember who this is? <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> but we worked together to figure it out. 
And then, you know, the bar mitzvah went on. And I remember at the end, it was Matzei Shabbat and he had the kids that weekend. So like, we kind of like packed up the, the shul and like the kids went with him and I sat in my car by myself and I cried. It was a very sad moment for me of, I didn't want to be with him again, but it was like the, what was lost of, we did work together to kind of figure out this problem and come up with a solution. And it, it brought up again, the hope, like what dies with a divorce is also the hopes that you had with that marriage and that family, which is yeah. really painful. Yeah. And, you know, that can get buried with either being super busy with life and moving on. And then these moments kind of bring that right up in your face of like, Oh, look, look what you lost. Mm-hmm. Look what you could have had. And that yeah. it was a really hard moment. Um, and then driving home, like, with the mess it was like very metaphoric of like the mess of the bar mitzvah in my car going home to my empty house by myself and so just wanted to call that out that it's not always about anger and like not wanting to be with your ex but it's it's a sad time also that's all that ambiguous grief i think and that you didn't necessarily expect it right if someone had actually passed away it would suck it would be terrible you'd bring it up at the day of but you'd be able to like move through it, right? With the sense of celebration with the B mitzvah, you know, you move through it in a kind of kind of this constant state of awkwardness, maybe, right? Especially I didn't expect it. That's the thing. It wasn't like I was coming from this place of like wanting him, desiring him. Like I was coming from an angry place also. So I was not expecting that emotion to come up. Well, here, let me just say, but let me just say this from a coaching perspective, right? You could either then, let divorce destroy this moment again as it destroyed kind of, you know, the other things that you had built so hard or, or worked so hard to build. Um, you know, it, it, this can be a reclamation then, right? If divorce took what you had built, right, this can be an opportunity to say like, hey, we're not going to let this part be lost to divorce, right? We are going to use this to bring our family together and make this a healthy experience for everyone involved. Right, I think is what you can expect from a best case scenario in that way. I was going to say to that, Cheva, the I did too. After the fact, for me, that I did have a little bit of that sadness. But what it was, it wasn't so much about him and our family unit. It was seeing our whole families together and seeing everybody being at a simchan, having fun, because we went from having. 40 people at every, you know, his family is bigger, larger than mine. So we had 40 people at every Rosh Hashanah and every Passover. And now we're a group of like 10. And so with, with, without many children around. And so it's been, the holidays have felt a little quiet and sad and more adult-like. And so having, I mean, there was a moment where everybody had a, a nephew or a niece on their shoulders. And I had my niece on my shoulders who my ex had never met. Like, it was so interesting having all these children and all of the simcha and the happiness. And that felt so good. And that was a little sad afterwards to be like, oh, us splitting up, broke up the relationship for all of these oh. people who were Oof. so happy together. That ah. was hard. But to your point, Noam, what it did was my ex-sister-in-law, who we were really close before the divorce, Oof. messaged me. Everyone afterwards was saying that was so great. And, you know, we sent thank you cards and all that. And it was like, we should, we, now they're coming to my son's play without my, like, it actually, in a sense was like, we should, we should do this again. Mm. We should be able to stay friends. Our kids really, we Mm. all saw how much our kids missed each other, Mm. how much we missed each other. And so, you know, my sister-in-law's 
husband who we were friends, there were, you know, we really missed each other and we didn't realize it until we were dancing together on the dance floor. So, or we were at taking, you know, the bar together. So that was my sadness was the fan, what it did to the family, but it actually, I think, I mean, whether it actually happens or not, we'll see, but it did in that moment. That was, that was the harder part for me and for everyone, I think. It's really nice to see though, that everyone rose to the occasion. Right. Um, at the end of the day, they didn't get divorced. We did, you know, um, so, what are you gonna say? Um, this, 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 what we're talking about now reminds. I'm still kind of a little bit Shavuot brain. <laughs> I was um, uh, leading a retreat, uh, uh, Shavuot retreat. So, I, um, there's this idea that um, you know, all of the holidays have each holiday has all the holidays in them, and I think that that's you know, uh, and you see that in the Torah readings that that like. You know, especially for the reg for the regal, they talk about all of the different um, regalim within. You know, it's like a system. And I think it's true also for life cycle events. Like um, uh, a marriage has, you know, birth, death, conversion, divorce. <laughs> like all in like each life cycle, you know, each life cycle, a death has like all the other things surrounding it somehow. Like each. Um, I feel like they're like one life cycle event is all the life cycle events. And you really feel it. You know, I'm counseling a couple for marriage and she just lost her father a month before the wedding. Like she's dealing with loss as she's dealing with marriage. Um, and uh, so I think that, that I, I think that can be, that can be a helpful perspective going through, going into a, a I think we, we like to think of these, B'nai mitzvahs, it's like, it's a simcha, right? But it's a lot more than that. It's a, it's a whole world coming together that, you know, and in this case, it's a world that was lost coming together. So it's, there's a lot more to it. And it'll help me, it'll help me ground myself, be in the moment, if I can remember that this is, this isn't just one life cycle event. It's like holding a lot of energy of family and, yeah. and history and it's opening up a portal and who knows what's beyond the door it could be anything right, right. Have no <laughs> idea. 13 years a lot has happened in 13 years or 12 years right like makes divorce, death the movie all the things you know it makes saying Shekhianu all the more important, right? And that's significant, right? Because it's not just about that moment, right? That you're saying it at that moment because it's, but it's because of everything that led up to that moment. And there's a lot of shit you're talking about, Ezra, Dad. right? A lot of baggage, right? The 14 years of it, you're talking, Liron, that brought up to that moment. Yep. There's a lot. There's a lot. Wow. A I, I have a, there's a, hold on. There's a, a practical, uh, point that Ezra brought up, you know, we talked about getting bombarded with text messages and emails, right, about things, which isn't a great way to communicate, right? Um, it is if, like, you're keeping legal records and whatnot, but, like, not if you're trying to build a relationship with someone and just have a good, honest, you know, be able to connect on a human level type of thing, uh, and especially when it comes to B'nai Mitzvah and doing that and how important the event is, given everything we've already talked about, let's talk practically for a second when you're dealing with a difficult person, right, who refuses to really communicate in a direct kind of face-to-face -face way, like even, let's say, over Zoom, um, but at best in person, in public in some way, um, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you, you know, move forward and say, like, we've got this thing that's going on and the way we're doing this isn't working. What, what, what's a practical step that someone can take to actually make things work? 
or at least accomplish the goal. Uh, our party planner, I mean, like get your team together, party yeah. planner, parenting coordinator, consult with the rabbi and say, this is what the goal is. You know, that's yeah. in a more, I guess, more orthodox world is different to where I came from, but like to more to the left of that, that's the role of the rabbi in this place should be ideally. So I think like lean in to the support team. Yeah, huge. Get a support team. But also, you know, I realized at one point up to up till a couple months before I was like, oh my God, we're planning this whole bar mitzvah through text. Like, honestly, that's where we were at because we weren't communicating well. And so all of our communication was in text normally. And it got to the point where I was like, I, we need, we can't do this anymore. So we actually made it, like I said, I, I really tried to think like, let's look at this. Like we're on a project together at work. How would we handle this? So we did, we did like a weekly zoom call where we were able to be like, okay, I booked this. Did you do that? It was very like business type, you know, that worked for us, but yeah, leading up to it, honestly, it was like crazy. I was like, how are we planning a bar mitzvah through texting? That's it. Like we, we actually did most of our planning on through text and email. And like, I don't think it was as big. I can, I'm not sure, but that worked for us. I I would say minimize the phone conversations. Like a lot of it is practical stuff that can be communicated so take away the phone call where the emotions can get triggered more and and use email and text, I think. I mean, it works. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's a that's a real fair point. I'll remove the judgment from it. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a term I learned in my in my graduate studies, uh, BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Uh-huh. Uh, using like political jargon, yeah. you know, uh, I, uh, I mean, what what is that? You know, was that my parents couldn't negotiate, so they had two bar mitzvahs. Is that the best alternative? Is there another best alternative that's 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 you know, if you can't negotiate, what's the best alternative? Like, I'm hoping, and this is the work that I'm I'm working in personally and professionally, is like, well, we're gonna come up. Here's a couple menu options for a best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Yeah, I like that. Amazing. Wow. What a wonderful conversation. Yeah, we like cover the whole gamut. Of I like think so. There's a lot of logistics and uh, linens. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. That was great. Really wonderful. Uh, how, let's do how can people get in touch with you? Liron, how can people get in touch with you? Um, uh, you can find me on my website at mydivorceconcierge.com. Um, I'm also an employee at Adad Ariel if you're looking for a bar mitzvah venue. <laughs> In the Burbank uh, area, I would imagine. The Burbank area. Um, but I am actually going to be putting together a little checklist, a bar mitzvah planning checklist for divorced couples that will be up on my website. So hopefully that will be helpful to many people. Mm-hmm. As well, make sure you get one. <laughs> Please. Thank you. Um, I can be reached uh, via email, rebezramh at gmail. Um, also, I have a Revoice Facebook page. Um, which you can search for. And uh, I also just want to say, I've like a huge, been a huge fan of Jewish Divorce Project for so long. And it's so oh, exciting thank you. to finally be on the show. I've been listening to it so much. So thank you. Kind of surreal. Thank you. Thank you. It's a wonderful project. It really is. It's a great, you know, conversation, I think, that we've got going on here. So thanks for being part of it. This has been great. Uh, Sheva, how can they get in touch with the Jewish Divorce Project? Through your e- our email, the Jewish Divorce Project at Gmail, our website, the Jewish Divorce Project.com, and through our social media. At yeah, we're our social media at Facebook and uh, Instagram at the Jewish Divorce Project. 
If uh, you've got advice for how to handle a B mitzvah coming up while in divorce land, we'd love to hear it. Uh, or and terrible disasters other people should avoid and can avoid. Yeah, or terrible. <laughs> yeah. Let us learn from your war stories. Oh, gosh. Jeez. I would love to see those pictures. That would be amazing. Yeah. Imagine what the, like, the B reel would be on a photographer's you know, camera when like everyone's really peaceful for the shop, but then like really tense before it. Or after. <laughs> like everyone's relieved that it's over. They're like, oh God, and their eyes are just rolling. That's awesome. Okay. Really well, okay. Uh, and good luck with any bar bat mitzvahs that you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to your friends. Get ready to say that Shekhianu. Make sure you know you're saying it for the right reasons. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye everyone. Thank you. Mm -hmm.